Well, thank you once again for being here on this beautiful Lord's Day. It's a lovely day outside. It's a lovelier day inside in many ways because here we are together sharing fellowship in Christ, singing his praise, uh, gathering around his word. And that's what we're going to do for the next few minutes. We're wrapping up our five-week Lenten sermon series called Five Challenges in Church Life. Uh, We talked about how church life is always changing with the coming and going of uh, people making life always dynamic in the church. We talked about uh, the reality of uh, the divisions we sometimes experience. We talked about uh, the reality of deception and doctrine and how today, especially uh, a lot of Christians, all of us really, are are being attacked by deceiving doctrine that um, that is dangerous and that we want to be very, very aware of that challenge. Uh, last Sunday, we heard uh, from a, a very distinguished uh, friend, Randy Neighbors, who was here in town for the Deacons Conference, and he spoke, I thought, very powerfully on the, the challenge of no mercy, what it means for a church uh, to lose its focus on the mercy of God in Christ. And uh, I was really blessed by that sermon. I hope you were as well. Well, this Sunday, we're going to think of the fifth of the five challenges. Of course, we could have many more challenges that we could talk about. There are many more challenges. But uh, the fifth that we're going to talk about this Lent is the challenge of financial uncertainty. And in some ways, that may seem like an anticlimax, but I want to make the case that it's actually a very significant thing for us to think about and for us to pray about and be very aware of as we think about church life. Uh, If you would please open in the Bible to Philippians chapter 4, page 982 in the Pew Bible. We're going to look at at Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 20. If you would please stand. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Philippi. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, we pray that you would now send your 
Holy Spirit upon us that you would put away from us all the distractions that would keep us from hearing your voice, that you would pry open our ears and our hearts and give us grace, Father, that we might truly hear your word, believe it, Father, obey it, and rejoice in it. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Financial uncertainty. Um, That's almost too obvious. Uh, Financial uncertainty. We all live uh, with financial uncertainty, the the reality of financial uncertainty. Of course, we're particularly aware of it today. Uh, We live in particularly uncertain times with uh, COVID, of course. We're still feeling the impact of COVID. I went the other day uh, to a restaurant with some friends, and uh, there was a, a big plastic uh, barrier where there didn't used to be a plastic barrier uh, to keep people from interacting with the staff who were still masked. And we commented on how we never saw that just a couple of years ago. That was unheard of. And the impact COVID has had on the economy of our community uh, is still being determined. It, it's massive, the impact upon uh, our own local community. And of course, when you take that to the nation and to the whole world, well, the impact is staggering. Um, of course, there are other issues as well. There are historic levels of inflation. When the dollar in your pocket is losing value as you sit here in church this morning, uh, that's something to think about. Uh, that, that the dollar you walked in with, uh, by the time you get around to spending it, may be worth a little less than it was when you walked in. Uh, the Ukraine. Uh, we've all been uh, just devastated by what's going on there, the loss of human life, which uh, just is almost too much to take in. So very, very sad. And then when you add to that the dramatic impact on the economy of the whole world, uh, the world is just uh, reeling from all the multidimensional effects of what's going on in that little corner of the world. Uh, as it ripples through the whole world's economy. So there are some special challenges, and it is actually always so. That's the interesting thing. There there are always financial challenges. Uh, We live in a world that has a very significant financial uh, element. Uh, It's just part of the world where we live. Um, And it's true in church life as well. We can't uh, imagine somehow that church... Uh, is exempt from the uncertainty in the rest of the world. We are very much a part of the world in which God has placed us, and uh, it affects the church as well as it does each of us as individuals. I remember uh, a number of years ago uh, at a big church where Leslie and I were for a while called St. John's Shaughnessy uh, in Vancouver, British Columbia. It's a huge church by Canadian standards. It's an even bigger church by Canadian Anglican standards, the largest Anglican church in Canada, and uh, it was a dynamic ministry. Jim Packer sat in the congregation. There were people who came to church at St. John's just to sit near Jim Packer, and uh, so it was a very, very healthy, dynamic church, lots and lots going on, but over and over again, the church, if you knew what to look for, passed through seasons of financial uncertainty, uh, partly because of the deceiving doctrine. Uh, The church was impacted by the lying voices all around it, leading people astray and alienating others. It was a very difficult time. And so the church, while I was there for 
very happy years, but also very challenging years, over and over again, we saw how the, the financial situation of the church was always a little uncertain, sometimes very uncertain. I remember uh, my friend David Short, who was the senior pastor there at St. John's, this huge church, very well known in the evangelical Anglican world, um, and he was talking about the financial struggles of the church, and this is a paraphrase, but it's a close paraphrase of what David told me. And at this point, he was a a young but very experienced senior pastor with many, many years of experience working in the church. He said, I don't know of any dynamic church that doesn't struggle with its finances, that doesn't have a measure of uncertainty in its financial situation. And that has been my experience as well. Uh, If you think about the most dynamic, active robust churches you can think of, if you actually dig down into their budget, if you actually talk to the leaders of the church, if you talk to the pastor, they will tell you often, I think almost always, that there is this uncertainty, there's this struggle about finances. Well, that's no surprise, something that Metrocrest has had to wrestle with over the years. I don't have to tell you, I'm I'm a newcomer. Uh, You've lived through it. In uh, talking to, to John uh, Fowler, who's one of the new uh, returning elders, uh, he shared with me uh, about some of the financial struggles that we have had over many years and uh, having to do with that coming and going and, and uh, the struggles of church life and, and how all those in things impact the church finances and how the church finances are a little bit of a barometer of what's going on in the church. It's not the only barometer. It's certainly not the most important one. But it's, a, it's one barometer of what's going on in the church. And so I'd like for us to, this Lent, think a little bit about the reality of financial uncertainty. We want to acknowledge it. Uh, we don't want to deny it. We want to acknowledge it. And I want to bring you, I think, three very important lessons from Paul on how to deal with this reality that we always face. Uh, three realities that I think will help you and me as our church continues to, to go along in the way that God is leading us. And one important thing, one important way we deal with the reality of financial uncertainty, this applies both to us as individuals as well as to members of a church, is this, this uh, simple statement. Contentment comes from trust in him who strengthens us. Contentment comes from trust in him who strengthens us. Uh, I think I've said before that Philippians is, is one of my favorite books of the Bible. It was uh, providentially the, the very first book I ever had the chance to preach through sequentially. My friend uh, David Short gave me the opportunity to do my own series of sermons and, and I chose uh, Philippians. Uh, to be honest, I chose it primarily because it was short Uh, I thought, okay, I can't mess up too much in four chapters. Uh, But as I dug into the four chapters, I discovered the wealth of wisdom, the wealth of insight in this short but very important book. And one of the things that jumped out at me then and jumped out at me again this week is how the book of Philippians is written from the viewpoint of love. Paul loves this church. He loves the church in Philippi. It was a church that he had helped found 
If you read Acts chapter 16, it tells the story of the creation, the founding of the church in Philippi. And if you know that story, it is an amazing story that, that actually highlighted the, the uh, amazing transformation of the gospel from being focused on Palestine and the Near East to a new focus moving west as, as the, uh, ch- the people of Europe um, became part of this emerging church experience. As, as the church was growing, as Paul, the great missionary, was taking the gospel, he wanted to go to Europe, but the Lord kept preventing him from going. And then finally, in, in Acts chapter 16, with a, a God-given vision, Paul was told to go to Macedonia, which is where Philippi is. And he went to Philippi immediately, it said. And he went there and immediately began having these crazy experiences. Uh, Not all of them favorable. Uh, He was uh, caught up in a riot about a slave girl. Uh, He winds up being thrown into jail. Uh, he had hardship in Philippi. He, he suffered in Philippi. But he also saw some miracles. He saw uh, the very first convert in uh, Philippi. And the very first convert we know of in all of Europe that we're specifically told about while in Europe, the very first convert was a businesswoman named Lydia. Uh, Paul took the gospel to Philippi. And the first response we're told about the first we know about specifically there was this businesswoman who dealt in expensive fabric, uh, was named Lydia, and she became a Christian, as did, by the way, the slave girl, as far as we know, and the jailer. <laughs> Paul wound up being thrown into jail, and the jailer becomes a Christian. He, and by the way, his whole household, uh, they were all baptized. They were all be- welcomed into the community of faith there in Philippi. And so this was a church that, that Paul dearly loved. He had seen amazing things. He had seen miracles happening in the midst of hardship, but he had seen miracles happening. So he loved them very, very much. And that comes through in the letter. This is a letter that's sometimes called Paul's joyful letter because over and over and over again, he says how much he rejoices in the church in Philippi. And that's true here in verse 10. Chapter 4, verse 10 begins, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Uh, Paul had so much joy from the church in Philippi, and here he singles something out that brought him great joy, and it was this. uh, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, verse 10, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. In other words, uh, the church in Philippi, which had at least one wealthy member, Lydia, but was made up primarily of people like the jailer and the slave girl. Uh, The ones we're told about in Philippi did not include necessarily a roll call of worthies. Uh, These were ordinary people. Some of them were very poor people. In 2 Corinthians, Paul describes the church in Philippi, actually the church in Macedonia, as being very poor. So they were not a rich church. But they had concern for Paul. Apparently they didn't have opportunity to to act on that concern because of distance and situations. They they had the the desire, the concern, but they didn't have the opportunity until verse 11. Uh, And in this verse, Paul makes note that they are once again concerned and, and living out their concern 
by sending him a gift. Verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. Uh, The church in Philippi was moved to be generous with Paul as they were able. And that gave Paul great contentment. But he goes on to put this specific experience of the support of the church in Philippi, he puts it in in the larger context. He says, uh, I have learned how to be content, verse 12. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Wouldn't you like to know what is the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need? These words weren't written by someone living a wealthy lifestyle with all the health, wealth, prosperity gospel in their ears. No, this was a man who, who experienced hardship in Philippi and elsewhere in his ministry, great hardship. He wound up suffering a martyr's death. And yet he says he had learned the secret of facing plenty and and hunger, abundance and need. In other words, he's learned to find contentment in the midst of challenges. And it's this. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now that's not necessarily a, a truth that we necessarily want to hear. Uh, We'd like to hear that God's going to guarantee us prosperity. God's going to make sure we have everything we want, that we live our best life now, that we have all the nice things that we all want. We'd like sometimes to have a religion like that. But that's not the secret that Paul talks about. The secret that Paul emphasizes, the one he tells the church in Philippi about, and the things he's telling you and me about, is that true contentment comes from trusting in the God who strengthens us. That's where true contentment comes from, trusting him. Uh, That's something Metrocrest has had to learn about as we have experienced various hardships over the 33 years that God has given us. Over those many years, there have been some hardships. But we've come to trust the one who strengthens us. And may that always be so. In fact, may it grow and deepen. And may we experience it more and more and more. May it move our hearts to greater and greater contentment, greater and greater confidence in him. Not that he'll give us everything we want, but that we can do everything through him because he strengthens us. That's comforting to me. For my family, I mean, these are crazy times. I, I, I understand that. There are people in this room who are facing financial hardship because of the reasons I mentioned and, and countless other reasons. But the good news that Paul wants us to know, the secret that he shares with us today, is that we can grow contentment in spite of that. And the contentment comes from trusting the one who strengthens us, who is with us through the hardship who is with us through the suffering, who stands with us, who strengthens us, who makes it possible for us to endure, to carry on, to call out to him, to to get up every morning and look to him again, to trust him again. Paul said that is where he had found true contentment. 
And, and that contentment included uh, abundance and it included plenty, but it also included hunger and need. Uh, I know those may sound like empty words coming from just another person, but how rich they are coming from one who suffered as Paul suffered, who endured all that Paul endured. Brothers and sisters, we, we can trust him. We can make decisions based on him. We can lean into him because true contentment comes from trusting in him who strengthens us. Verse 14, Paul tells us something else that's very important for us in uncertain times. He says, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Uh, commitment to the gospel brings partnership. That's uh, my second point. Uh, commitment to the gospel brings partnership. That's a beautiful word, partnership. Uh, it's an English translation of a, of a very beautiful, very important Greek word, koinonia. Koinonia, it's, it's variously translated. Sometimes it's translated sharing or giving, communing, fellowshipping. And here specifically, they've translated it as partnership. And it, all these words together kind of pull out what koinonia was. Um, it's more than the fellowship of having a cup of coffee together. It's more than the partnership of a business deal. It's more than sharing by taking the spare change and uh, entrusting it to somebody. It's actually an, an attitude of sharing. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And next Sunday when we share the Lord's Supper, there will be a, an, a, an expression of koinonia as we all come forward to this little table and we hold out our hands and we receive the bread and the wine Reminders of what Jesus has done for us. How we share with one another and with him in what he has done for us. The officer candidates and I just spent uh, an hour talking about um, Christian piety, growing in Christ. And we were talking about how this, this sharing over time shapes us. Over time, it makes us grow in Christ. It helps us to become more like Jesus. This very conscious, very intentional sharing. We're going to have a baptism in a moment. We're going to share with, uh, with Joseph and with his family. A very big family, by the way, and a good-looking family. Oh, my goodness. The, the whole back row over here and the, half the middle row over here. Uh, the whole Munoz family is here to celebrate with this young man. Um, this is an expression of our koinonia. It's an expression of our sharing. Um, it's not about money so much as it's about just sharing life, sharing everything. And if we share life, if we share everything, we can't help but share what we have, our money, our resources, our finances. It's one of the fruits of God's work in our lives that suddenly we want to be a part of God's work. We want to be stewards. We want to share. It's not something we're legalistically forced to do. There aren't rules about it really. It's, it's an expression of what God is doing in our lives as he gives us gratitude and praise for all that he has already done for us. 
Koinonia is a response to what he has already done. So it's the very opposite of trying to earn something. It's saying thank you for something. And commitment to the gospel brings that. It brings partnership. Remember a friend of mine who used to preach on on this idea, and he said you can tell someone's commitment to the gospel by looking in their date book, uh, by looking in their checkbook, and by looking at the book on their bedside table that they read and that they pay attention to. You can tell by looking at the books. And I think there's truth to that. If we're really paying attention to the Bible, if we're really being shaped by that book, it will shape the way we spend our time and the way we spend our money. And that will help us in uncertain times. It will shape us. And it will shape all of us together because true commitment to the gospel brings that kind of partnership. You can't have an ungenerous response to the gospel if you've really taken it on board, if you really care about what Jesus has done. How can we respond in anything other than generosity and partnership? That's what happened in uh, Philippi. Uh, They were committed to Paul. They were committed to Paul's gospel, and it shaped the way they did everything else. Third point is partnership in the gospel pleases God. This is an interesting thought. If you look at the way Paul closes in verse 18, he he wants to make it plain that it's not about him personally. He says, verse verse 18, I have received full payment and more. It makes it very plain. He's, he's so grateful. He's, he's completely paid. Anything they felt like they owed him, it is fully paid. I'm well supplied, he says, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. It's not to earn anything. Jesus has already done the once-for-all work. It's saying thank you for something. And Paul tells us here, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that that is pleasing to God. It's like an acceptable sacrifice, a fragrant offering, rich temple language to describe this, this temple worship. And as it turns out, Responding to the gospel with financial stewardship is an expression of that. And it's, Paul says, acceptable. It's pleasing to him. It's pleasing to God when you and I respond to him with partnership. Um, We're doing life change this month for a sweet girl who many of you know. She was raised here. Mom and dad are sitting right there. Uh, What a privilege it is. What a privilege it is to partner with a young woman raised in this church as she goes to do mission work in Africa. A bold, heroic thing for this young woman to want to do, to go, and for you and me to be able to partner with her, to support her, to help her, uh, to go and, and learn from the experience and maybe to test whether this is God's call in her life. Who knows what the Lord will do with this trip, this, this experience. What a privilege that is 
Well, it's, it's interesting to know that as you and I partner with her, as she seeks to obey the Lord and, and go and serve the Lord there in, in Africa at this amazing ministry, that as we partner with her, that's pleasing to our Father in heaven. We don't, we don't have to earn his pleasure. He's given us everything in Christ. But because we're so grateful for what he's done, well, isn't it a joy, isn't it a privilege to be able to support and partner with others? Isn't it a joy and privilege to be able to partner here at MetroCrest with, with the mission team and the, and the Vacation Bible School? We're going to have the first VBS we've had in several years. We're going to do it this summer, God willing. And you have the opportunity to partner, to be a part of it, to support it financially and, and to support it by being here. By being here to, to, to look after our little ones. We hope to have uh, every kid at MetroCrest, every child at MetroCrest, we want to have every one of them here in this room singing and laughing and sharing the gospel. Getting to know more about Jesus as volunteers and the coordinators all work together to help them to know Jesus. And then on top of that, adding an extra layer of blessing, we're going to invite our whole neighborhood so that the other children in the neighborhood, maybe from down at the school, they'll be here too. And their moms and their dads and their aunts and their uncles and their grandparents. Who knows how the Lord will use it? It's such a privilege to partner together to serve the place where God has placed us, to serve those who are reaching out with the gospel to the ends of the earth. We get to be partners in that. And not only is it a delight to us, not only is it great fun for us, but it pleases our Father. Because he sees little glimpses in us of the love that his Son has. And he sees sinners like you and me becoming a little more like his Son a little more like Jesus, that, that we show that love in our giving, in our, in our doing, in our participating, in our partnering. Not because we have to earn anything, but because we are so grateful for all that he's done for us. Well, it's been a great Lent. Uh, it's been an opportunity to think about some challenges and to think about some promises. Because with every challenge, there is a gospel promise. The gospel promise, and, and Paul puts it beautifully. He says, verse 19, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's a pretty bold promise. God will provide for his people. It doesn't say we'll give, he'll give us everything we want. It doesn't even say he'll give us everything we need right now. But the promise is that God has his eye on us and he will supply for us. He will provide for us to his glory forever and ever. He will provide for us. He will bless us. Certainly in eternity. Certainly in eternity when every need is dealt with. When every Lent is passed. And we're facing an eternal Easter. We'll have the certainty that God will deal eternally with all, all that we need. Everything that we could possibly need. He will provide for us. And in the meantime, he will give us this deep contentment that comes from his provision, his strengthening, powerful presence, 
And that will shape the way we live our lives. Praying for our deacons and praying for our elders as we get ready. To, we're about to start a new budget cycle that's just ahead of us. Uh, we'll be working with Steve Thomas. Steve, I'm praying especially for you. Uh, Steve's our treasurer. Praying for all of us that we will make every decision in light of this promise. God will provide for us. We will live cheerfully on whatever he provides, however much or however little, whether it's need or abundance, we will live cheerfully on it and gratefully on it. We will seek to be good stewards of every single penny that God entrusts to us through you. Every penny we will seek to be a good steward of it. And we will seek to do all of it to the glory of our God and Father forever and ever. Amen.